As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. This is Talk of Rebels, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United. Coming up today, we'll react to that crazy second half at Old Trafford, which saw United into the last 16 of the League Cup. We'll talk about articles on Marcus Rashford, on Jaden Sancho, on Donny van der Beek, Eric Ten Hag's rules of winning, which sounds like something to unpack. Uh, and we'll also preview the match this weekend against Fulham as well. And to do that, I'm joined by Carl Anker. Morning, Carl. Good morning, mate. And Andy Mitten. Good morning, Andy. Hello, mate. I mentioned the second half there straight away, Carl, because the first half was so bad, I thought about switching it off. You were at the ground. Did you think about leaving? Oh, putrid. Uh, Manchester United finished the first half with six offside calls uh, and three shots on goal. Uh, so sums it up, really, doesn't it? Yeah. The, the press box. You know, you, when you walk down from the press box, you can go into the room. You, you often get, you know, interact with a couple of season ticket holders. Uh, and uh, one of them sort of turned around. I was walking down the stairs and just held his nose. I did like a waft. I'm doing it now, as you can see. And what wafted in front of me, saying it smelled, and I just did the uh, sleeping motion. Such was the entertainment of that first half. I'm just gutted I missed that, to be fair. yeah. Um, let's not talk about the first half any more than Andy, because the second half, my goodness. Um, it started off a bit weird. It got a bit crazy. It was exciting. United scored four times. I didn't know we did that anymore. It was great, wasn't it? It was great, and it contrasted completely with that awful first half where the season... Don't mention it again were quite rightly holding the nose. What first half? One thing I love about the the press box at Old Trafford is there are fans right right close by you. So I love that observation by Carl. It's like you know people and I just think it's a good thing to be to be in, in and among that. Uh, first half was absolutely terrible. Terrible, terrible. Probably the worst of the season apart from Brentford. And the second half was, that much, was definitely much better. Worse. Manchester United came back, came back twice, scored good goals, and and against a decent Villa side who had a go with a bigger way following, and really nice to see Manchester United going through, getting a, a winnable draw in the next round against Burnley. Also nice to see Manchester City and Liverpool drawing each other because normally City get like the dog <laughs> and duck in the semi final. Yeah, it's a decent night for Manchester United, and we wouldn't have been saying that at half time. Or, or when, when Villa went ahead, I was fuming. I just thought, this is getting beat twice by Villa. A Villa who, who don't win away from home. Uh, this, this really is not good enough. But thankfully, 
Uh, I should mention Bruno Fernandes as well. He never stopped trying. Yeah, scoring four goals at Old Trafford. Another huge crowd. We should mention that too. 72,000 in the Carabao Cup. I know I keep banging on about it, but even when Manchester United were in their absolute prime, 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 it was a struggle to sell out League Cup home matches. And this season, sold that out, sold out the Europa League matches. have all had 70 plus, uh, thousand plus crowds. So that, that surge and then... Leading into that, at one point the other day, there were over 100,000 people waiting for Barcelona at Old Trafford tickets in the queuing system. And only 6,000 went on sale in that that first batch. So the demand to see Manchester United means that if you're listening to this jog laser, expand the stadium now. There is a demand for it. Stop procrastinating. Get it done. And that stadium last night would have been pleased at being there just for Alejandro Garnacho's performance uh, in that second half. I mean, I fought back how much we should talk about him and how much we should praise him uh, in the last few matches. And there's been mixed sort of reviews at times about what he's done. But I just think he has something that, as a United fan, you can identify with. He feels like a player that, you've, that you want to watch. There was something about that run down the line, getting chalk on his boots, bursting past players I wasn't there but I could hear the sound in my head of the chairs clattering as people got up off the seats to watch this lad to stretch the necks to see him run it didn't end up with a a shot or or, or a goal it was blocked in the end but Carl there's just something about him that feels like United he might be from Madrid he might play for Argentina but he feels like a United player even at this raw stage oh yeah and at that exact moment I must admit the thoughts I was thinking became quite loud and I was going, go on, lad, run a straight line, go at him, go at him, go at go him. On, go on, Yeah. Uh, I think I shouted, expose him twice to like when he <laughs> sized up the defender. It, it's, it's, it's always nice when a young player picks up the ball out wide and just drives down the line, just runs at his defender. He's, he's got great balance. He's really good. He's got like a little, you know, little shift of the shoulders, little shift of the ankles and he can commit a defender, which was quite nice. And the... So he, you know, basically gets an assist for the third goal by snatching uh, a chance from building up the back from Villa, and then in the fourth goal for Scott McTominay, I didn't know he had that crossing in his locker. Um, and I'm also going, did we get it all wrong when we turned Scott McTominay into a midfielder? Because <laughs> uh, he's not bad as a target man, is he? He's almost a Scottish Marouane Fellaini in he's that sense, almost... isn't he? When he what he looked like towards the end of that game, and it. There are sort of counters to this and and the manager's words once again were a bit of a warning to Garnacho. but are we allowed to be excited about this kid now? Yeah, I, I think he's um, overachieving because I speak to lots of people behind the scenes there and uh, they all say we don't get carried away. He's, he's still in development stage. He's got so much more to do. He's got to do X, he's got to do Y. And then you see him actually putting balls in like that and you think just brush everything away that everyone's ever told you. <laughs> I don't know whether that can be coached or not, but that was the type of um, ball that gets fans up. It was exciting. It's a young player. It's a lad who's done his finishing in in the academy. We know there's issues there. We know the manager spoke about his attitude earlier on in the season. Do we know the details of that, by the way? Do we know any more than, than what's been said? Just that he's uh his attitude wasn't uh, a Scott McTominay-esque style attitude, shall we say that? <laughs> Sometimes young young players can get carried away and there is a school of thought that the 
Youth Cup win last year, the club really needed a trophy. So some players were, I won't say over-promoted, but played very, very strong uh, team for the, for, for the Youth Cup matches and were vindicated because it, it came off. I've written a big piece about Kobe Mainu in The Athletic um, yesterday and I spoke to all of his coaches from the last year within that. But with, with Garnacho, you can still see in matches, he still shows defenders too much of the ball. He's still not got the mm-hmm. physical strength to get past players. He had two real ding-dongs um, against um, Matty Cash at the weekend. And it was only a few weeks ago that I was speaking to someone who said he really missed Manchester United not being in the UEFA Youth League this season because he would be up against very competent, fast, best-of-his-age-level European fullbacks. But he's now playing against Premier League fullbacks and he's holding his own and he's doing it, doing all right. And I'm still not going to get carried away because, as you see with uh, Elanga, it's not a linear line with young players. There's going to be bouts of absolute inconsistency. There's going to be times where people jump on him and go, he's not all that him. But the fundamental is he's, that ball was absolutely fantastic. And he, he, he came on and made two assists. He, he helped... Um, Really changed the uh, he changed the, the game. game. Came on after what, sixty-two minutes, mm-hmm. and along with the other, I thought Christian Eriksen also made a difference. We won't dwell too yeah. much on the players who were replaced because I thought they were really, really poor. But I'm going to speak glowingly about Garnacho. From where we are now at the moment, is really exciting. Even the presence of mind for that first assist, Carl, um, that was a, a good sign on his decision-making because a lot of young players, their eyes would have just lit up. In fact, a lot of senior experienced players, their eyes would have just lit up when that ball dropped to them. But he had the presence of mind first time to play it straight into Bruno Fernandes. He's the youngest United player ever to record two assists in a game as well. I mean, that, that again shows something, doesn't it? Yes. And so on Sunday against Aston Villa... Um, United were getting killed by the building building out from the back. So Villa again over and over and over again. It'd be Martinez to Tyrone Mings to Buendia dropping deep, and that pulled Dallow out of position. They just kept doing that over and over. Whereas the first half, yeah, it, it wasn't great, but what was very evident was how the front three were pressing Villa when they tried to build out the back. And Olsen's not as good as his feet as Martinez, but you were just stopping that just making sure Villa couldn't pass through the lines in the same way that happened on Sunday. And I think Garnaccio definitely had the same instruction of this is where you need to stand. These are the places you need to cut off. And once in a while, you might be able to profit. And yeah, it's great that he he went for that. I'm also enjoying his stepovers because it's not just a step over to get a shot off, but he does sort of stop and can also pass and can go either way. So yeah, keep on the straight and narrow. Give him game time. I think, you know, Getting into the fourth round is important, not just because of you know hitting the Andy Mitten stand of top four in a trophy, but also it gives extra opportunities to play Garnacho, to play uh, other players that um, haven't featured too much in the Premier League, will be uh, a boon to everyone. When Carl said then, keep his feet on the ground, he does actually have his family around him, which is good. They're, they're living in Manchester, and there have been other young players in the, the past history of the club who've been in Manchester by themselves. They've had the first taste of first-team action. The Reds have completely gone. Probably the best example given to me 
although this guy had a really straight head, was Gary Bailey, the old goalkeeper. He said he arrived in Manchester midwinter. He'd come from a middle-class, university-educated South African background. He read The Guardian and suddenly he's on a team bus where nobody read a big newspaper like that. He he had no attention from females whatsoever. The minute he got into the first team, he was like, whoa, you are the man. And this is someone who later married Miss World, by the way. Gary Gary Bailey was a very good goalkeeper and a good a good looking guy. But your life changes massively, even more so now, where so much of it is played out on social media, and you can look at the numbers and the interactions. So, I think he's got a good manager who's right on top of him. He's got a lot of good Spanish speakers at the club who are right on top of him. He's got his family there, um, both parents and a sibling who are really supportive. They go to matches. I've seen them in the away end, which is a good thing. That's where I saw Mrs. Garnacho buying a copy of United We Stand, so they know what the culture's about. So all of these things are positive. He's won the Youth Cup. There are a lot of young Spanish speakers at the club as well. So I know Fernandez has gone to Preston North End, but I saw him and Garnacho at... uh, at Carrington in May, and they're just two young lads and who seem to be enjoying life, but his life will change massively. So it it's up for A, him to have a good head, but also for people around him to protect him because you make it as a Premier League player, that's one thing. If you're a young, attacking, good-looking Manchester United player who does things like he did with that ball against Aston Villa, you are going to get huge amounts of attention. Maybe the World Cup is not a bad thing, just to put a little bit of a break on it for him. Unless he gets in the squad. He's in the 55 provisional squad for Argentina. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, look, stranger, stranger things have happened of him coming on and you know, scoring... Theo Walcott. A, a, there you put, go. I mean, imagine if you put a ball in like that against Brazil in the World Cup semi-final. Then exactly. Everything I've said, you can just throw it in the bin because it'll become a global superstar. <laughs> Those cheekbones will be iconic overnight, <laughs> won't they, if you can do that in the World Cup against Brazil. Um, let's talk about another positive then. Uh, I don't want Garnacho to get carried away too much with our words, so we better move it on. Marcus Rashford, um, we mentioned him a little bit, and we mentioned the article a little bit towards the end of the last podcast, but I think it's really important that we actually go over this again because it's a brilliant article. Both of you contributed to it as well with Mark Carey. He just looks like a player transformed, Carl, doesn't he? We've said it so many times, but his goal last night, I think, just underlined it. Marcus Rashford doesn't score scruffy goals. Does he not read the script? <laughs> yeah, he, he's he's making the... He's competing more. So so that goal to, to make the score 2-2 comes from him, one, you know, having the forethought to head the ball into the path of Christian Eriksen. Two, understanding that he needs to chase that ball, which I don't think he would have done in last season. Uh, three, when the ball is spilled, he has the the foresight of mind to roll it out of the way of Tyron Mings, which is something that he hasn't typically demonstrated. Normally, that he, he's sort of shoot on sight. So just to have, to have the presence of mind to, one, have the intensity to like chase the ball, but then the coolness to just get out of the way of Mings and then go for the shot. I think it's, it's you know, I applaud him and I applaud the effort he's been putting in, uh, in this first part of the season. It's eight goals for him now. He's the top scorer for Manchester United. And he, at this point in time, it's not just he's the informed striker for United, but he's probably the, one of the informed strikers for England in general. I think he's played his way into the England team, Carl, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah. I, I think it, you know it's not just 
there is a halfway decent argument to be made he could start against the Ren on November 21st. And to say that after where he was at the end of last season, where he was behind Jaden Sancho, Anthony Alanga, and wasn't even mentioned by Ralph, you know, was not in Ralph Ragnick's consideration for the for the Manchester derby. Uh, it speaks a lot to how how he's committed himself and, and you know, knuckled down and, and, and got on with things. Yeah, I did a podcast um, with Jack Pitbrook and, and Ollie Kay, the Athletic Football Podcast, back in August, and they both agreed that England hadn't looked the same going forward, the same threat, the same team, full stop, since Rashford had dropped out of the side, dropped out of the squad. They just not looked as good attacking. It wasn't an alternative to Kane to score goals. Um, more importantly, from a United perspective, Andy, though, he, he just looks like the best we've seen him. Is that fair? In terms of a well-rounded player, I think this is as good a Marcus Rashford as we've seen, isn't it? Fitter, happier, more productive. You see him doing interviews, laughing, smiling. Uh, I remember speaking to him in Perth pre-season and he just said, I cannot stress how important it has been for me to have a full pre-season. That's only the second time in my career that that has happened. And as Carl said, he's come from a pretty low place after the Euros last year when he didn't didn't feature anything like as much as he would hope to do. Uh, he had this he had a higher profile than almost any player in the England squad. And he came back to uh, Carrington for pre-season last year. Things were not good. And he talks about headspace. Well, his head was not in a good place at the start of last season. Fast forward to this season and he keeps talking about the same thing because mentally, and there's lots of detail in that article, um, his private life is much more settled. He's made changes to some of the people around him. That was his eighth goal of the season against Villa. So I'm not going to use the word prolific, but he's also said after the match last night that his favourite position is not the central role. He likes coming in uh, from the side, but... I love the fact uh, before that goal last night, I think he could have gone down not once but twice and got a penalty, but stayed on his feet, got a really good shot off. I'm really happy with Marcus Rashford. It was put to me only six months ago um, that he, he he wasn't a negative, he wasn't a positive influence. He's a completely changed personality at Carrington now. He's happier, people like having him around. And I remember someone saying to me last season, He's not really in the first eleven anymore, and I went, "What?" He went, "Not really. He's not really in the first eleven anymore, and he absolutely is now." I think in the idealised first eleven of Manchester United fans, Marcus Rashford is in it, and the criticism which was building up, building up, and not without reason because he'll always be judged first and foremost by what he does on on a football field, and goal scorers who don't score goals are always going to get stick. Is is melting away, so it's still quite early on in this season. But congratulations to him for getting called up uh, for England. Be wonderful if you can make a good impression in the World Cup final. But I loved it last night. I always said after the game, my priority is always United. He didn't even say like Manchester United, uh, Sheffield. He didn't even acknowledge that there are actually other teams called United. My priority is always United. He delivered in a real deadpan Mancunian accent. I love that. Yeah, he was also asked by Dion Dublin about Benny McCarthy, wasn't he, Andy? I, I thought all three of us would have been interested in his response to that. And the idea that he's let the players 
focus on attacking at times and that being the only conversation he really has with Benny. You could sort of feel there was a benefit to him in that conversation. Yeah, he didn't go into too much detail uh, about it. And as no. journalists, you always want insight, insight, insight. You want real specific. Actually, this is what he's made me done. He's made me turn this way. And when it comes to heading, what he's done is he's played me videos through and he's showed me them brilliant goals he scored for Porto against Manchester United. But we didn't get any of that. We just got a generalised... Yeah, it's good to have someone who's who's uh, played at that level coaching you. And it is. And Benny, Benny was a top, top striker. And the thing I, I hear about him a lot is Benny's infectious. Uh, he speaks all these different languages. The players really uh, like him. He's a smiley. He's a character. Um, he, he's got to keep his head down and graft at the moment. And that's what he's doing. And that's a good thing. But... If he started speaking and doing interviews, whoa, one of the most interesting people I have ever interviewed by a mile. This is someone who talks about playing in the gangster leagues in the Cape Flats and being in demand because just I was just so lethal in front of goal. Every every gangster wanted me to play for their team. Moving to Europe at a young age, he's got an amazing life story. But my favourite one is he's really proud that he's banned from the city of La Coruña because he scored that many goals playing for Celta Vigo, that the mayor banned him from going. (laughs) And given how many times Manchester United are playing Spanish opponents at the moment, because I did a list the other day, including in friendlies, I think La Coruña is just about the only place that United have not been to in the last couple of years in in Spain, probably because Benny McCarthy wouldn't be allowed a visa to get into the city. I'd be quite happy by the end of this campaign if we had several players banned from several Spanish cities. It would tell a, a positive story about our trip. Uh, abroad in the Europa League. Carl, in terms of Rashford, um, people can go and read that article, of course, now on The Athletic, like we promoted on the last pod. But your latest article reflected on last night about Manchester United's rules of winning under Eric Ten Hag. Rashford's almost the embodiment of that, isn't he? I think so. So something I've got constantly running in my moleskin and my, my notes app it is when uh, Ten Hag sprinkles in a new word and says it three or four times. And rules... Rules as a current favourite, Tenag. He said after Sunday, United didn't follow the rules of winning and didn't pay attention to the plan. I went through the programme notes before kickoff, and, and he said if we follow the rules, we'll secure passage to the next round. So at full time, I went, Mr. Tenag, you keep using this term rules. What are they? Uh, and uh, well, something I will say is Tenag is getting more conversational in the press conferences, especially after a victory. He, he's sprinkling in. Uh, a little bit more poetry. I think he described uh, the romance of Manchester United in a section as well. Uh, and he he elaborated what these rules are, which are he, he sort of the, the do's and do nots of when you when you play football. He said, he said, they're rules when you're defending and they're not ifs or they're not buffs. They're simply what I demand from you. Uh, and that very much sounds like he wants everyone to press, everyone to hurry, everyone to play with the necessary intensity. Uh, and then he sometimes found quite interesting, he says, it, when attack, they're not necessarily rules, but they're principles because you have more freedom when you attack. And then elaborated that when you're closer to the goal, you have more freedom. But again, you have to earn your freedom by winning the ball high up the field. So everything comes from high intensity off the ball, and then you can have your playtime when you, you know, like Garnacho's assist for Fernandez's goal. That comes from Ten Hag's rules, as it were. It was a fantastic answer oh great excellent we need to make sure Anthony Martial is fit for as long as possible because United 
the best way for United to win the ball high up the field and only have principles rather than rules is to have Martial uh, as your number nine. Carl, you mentioned the the pro the program. Carl, how nice was the cover of that program last night? It was really nice. Proper seventies uh, retro. I think uh, when you posted that, I noticed it. So I think hats off to Paul Davis and his team at the United Review. These are all people who you know they keep they, they they graft away, but they're all proper United fans. And I, I saw that cover and I thought, whoa, I really like that. I had a big ooh when I was handed it. So yeah, it, it was. I, I had a fun read through uh, before kickoff. But I'm um, yeah. I think the way. United are a really interesting team in that you can see flashes of what Ten Hag wants. Uh, and most of those flashes come when Martial is fit or when Fernandez is at the 10 or when Eriksen is the number eight and he's got someone behind him. Uh, and that first half, mm, bad, sleepy motion. They weren't paying attention to the rules. And in, you know, the transformation comes about one from Fernandez coming, moving into that number 10. Uh, and I think... Martial. Martial just makes that forward press so much more coherent. Anthony Martial playing by the rules, Andy, sounds like a winning combination, doesn't it? Because his United career has drifted at times. His fitness this season hasn't been something to rely upon, certainly. But when he has been in the United team, generally speaking, this campaign, they have looked at their best, haven't they? There's there's exceptions to that. Uh, certainly the Tottenham game sticks out straight away. But, but, but when Martial has been on the pitch for United, generally speaking... It has felt all a bit more coherent, hasn't it? Yeah, you're saying drifting. It was drifting as recently as the close season when we all thought he was going to be leaving, and exactly. Manchester United wouldn't have actually uh, st- stopped him going in the summer. So it's good when he's when he's looking happier. He's, uh, I think, his goals and assist rate is actually pretty impressive this season. I'm just going to find a statistic which somebody um, sent to me about Martial and again we're not going to use the word prolific they've still got some way to go to a couple of seasons ago when uh, United uh, with Rashford and uh, Martial semi-prolific but yeah if he can stay fit and play well and be happy then Manchester United will absolutely be better off for that because it's good that Garnacho's come through because there's still a shortage of of um of players up front and there has been a shortage of goals. That's another reason why it was really important to to score those those four match, four goals. Absolutely. You can read more about Anthony Martial in Carl's piece on The Athletic about the rules of winning for Eric Ten Hag. It's up there right now. And remember, if you're not a subscriber, you can do so now for just £1 a month for the first six months. Go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. Right, Laurie Whitwell, of course, not with us again because he's still on his mad trip to Qatar. I don't know when he's going to get there, but he'll get there eventually, I think. He's taking planes, trains and automobiles. And it's a journey, of course, that you can follow on all the athletics channels. He couldn't join us live today like on the last podcast when he was at Ajax training ground. But he has sent us this message. Where are you, Laurie? Currently in Milan. Um, I had a little bike ride around the San Siro last night, um, place of significance in the treble season, of course. Um, started off in Zurich, incredible drive through the Alps that we had, uh, ridiculous scenery. Went over to FIFA headquarters actually afterwards to try and ask them a few questions, which we were able to do to, to a degree. Um, saw Arsene Wenger there, he signed our ball, which was nice of him, no questions for him. But um, uh, is, yeah, it's this ball that we're going to get everyone to sign as we go along the trip and then we're going to auction it off for charity at the end. Um, but yeah, since I spoke to you guys, uh, went and interviewed John Heitinger, really interesting guy, really engaging. I, I liked him a lot, actually. Um, he's manager of Young Ajax, 
um, who have a team in the second tier of the Dutch division. So they, they have B teams over there. And he was saying how useful that is for developing the next batch of of Ajax Academy graduates, which clearly they need to do, given you know United keep signing their players. Um, he was also interested on Eric Ten Hag, actually, um, and how insistent he was uh, when he was at the club on inverting fullbacks. So, um, yeah, as we've seen this season, haven't we, with Dogo Dalot and, and Luke Shaw, Tyrell Malassia kind of coming inside the wingers and, and providing that extra man, so, you know, get the overloads, et cetera, et cetera. So on Monday night, we watched um, Bayern Munich versus Werder Bremen, uh, which was a, a really interesting game. The kind of interesting aspect from a United perspective, perhaps, was uh, Maxim Chupamoting, who has been reportedly of interest to United, uh, I could well see that, you know, linked with Marco Anatovic in the summer, um, to promoting fits that, you know, sort of similar, um, you know, bracket for, w- would he be a, a cheaper option alternative to that centre-forward issue that United have got, 33. So, uh, yeah, it'd be interesting if that one actually does develop at all, um, but he's obviously in a good place at Bayern Munich. So, uh, yeah, from Milan, we uh, go on to Venice uh, and then Ljubljana and then Zagreb and keep on going. So, uh, please, uh, yeah, keep track of us on the old app um, but yeah missing you guys and I'll see you soon bye bye brilliant yep thank you Laurie remember you can follow his trip to the World Cup with Nick Miller across social media in video and in written form on The Athletic as well looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24-7 US based live customer service from Discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Marcus Rashford had good news, of course, because he was in the England squad. Jaden Sancho didn't. Um, Danny Taylor's written about it, Andy, and the fact that no one was really surprised. That's quite a sad thing to say. It is sad, but the fact he wasn't even in the conversation shows where his career is at the moment. He's been really disappointing. There's been a couple of moments this season, uh, but then then he regressed. Um, that game in Cyprus for me, I just remember speaking to people afterwards and alarm bells were ringing. The fact that 
he didn't have the confidence to run at Cypriot fullbacks with respect to not at the same level of the Barcelona fullbacks who'll be coming up against had he stayed in into the team or even Premier League fullbacks, uh, passed the ball back and that led to the Cypriots uh, getting their opening goal. Um, I'm not going to write him off at all. Well, he's 22 for a start, isn't he? He's a kid. He's still very young, but he's got to try and get back on onto the track that made Manchester United fans so excited when he signed from Borussia Dortmund. I really thought this was going to be his season and his manager absolutely uh, believes in him and he's given him lots of chances. But this is a manager who, if you're not performing, you're getting dropped. And I've got no complaints about that at all. So it's sad for him, but if he wants to look at someone who's worked his way back into it, just look across in the dressing room and see Marcus Rashford. He'll be given a fair crack to get back into this. He'll get games... But when he gets those games in his position, you've got to perform. I spoke to Jane and Sancho earlier on this season. One of the things he talked about was arriving in England uh, amidst the storm after the Euros, after missing the penalty, but more pertinently after being racially abused following that penalty miss. And it felt like at the start of this season, he was beginning to emerge from the shadow that that had cast. It felt like this this second season was going to be it for him. You think back to that Liverpool goal at Old Trafford and the personality and poise that he showed scoring that goal. Um, he's had his high points at the start of this season, but it's like it's a word I used with Martial before. The season's just drifted for him, Carl, hasn't it? And I think Danny's article's right. You know, it's sad, but there wasn't any surprise he wasn't in that England squad. And he really should be on ability, shouldn't he? Yeah, but ability's only an ingredient in, in, in the wholesale part of being a football player. Injury and illness have not helped. It hasn't helped that he hasn't played for for several weeks. But as Andy said, I was, I was in Cyprus as well, and I was begging him for to drive at his fullback. And I think some of the excitement about Garnacho is that he is doing the simple. I'm just going to run at you, and if I lose the ball, I'll chase and get it back. That Sancho hasn't done for for a good chunk of the season. There is a team, there is a Manchester United eleven that you can create to get the best out of Jadon Sancho. But similar to, to Donny van der Beek, I'm not sure if that eleven is if it's worthwhile making that eleven for him. And I'm also not sure right now if such an eleven would not be even better if you put a different player in Sancho's position instead. And that's the difficult part. Um, once you get to a place where you can have everything set up for you, but you're still not number one in that position, then it becomes not tactics or what you're doing with your feet, but it becomes a question of what you're doing up up top, above your shoulders. And, you know, we hope Jaden Sancho regains full fitness and is ready to start in part two of the season when it comes. But it will be up to him to, one, start driving and committing defenders, even if there isn't the overlapping run that he often needs. And to, to 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 be more courageous with his passing. We know that he can be a number 10 passer when, when the time arrives. And we know he likes to exist in that half space. He now needs to get there a lot more uh, of his own volition. Because if he's not, then this sideways drift will continue. This decision goes two ways, doesn't it, Andy, in, in a way for Jadon Sancho? Either it's the, the fuel to fire him back and to, to really give him the inspiration to fight his way back and the, the determination he needs or it could actually sort of deepen the depression, couldn't it? Um, if he feels that 
you know, he, he's really upset about this, which I'm sure he is. I think he'll get more chances, not just in the next wave of chances. I think he's he costs that much. He's got that big a contract. He'll get a second, third, fourth, fifth wave of chances at Manchester United. And I'm told that he's, he's training all right. He's 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 a, he's a nice guy. Well, when he was training, he was training uh, all right. Um, you've just got to perform where where it matters. So look at some of the other players around him. I think the support structure at Manchester United is a good one. I think the dressing room equilibrium is much more balanced than it was earlier on this year. Uh, there's there's less negativity and he knows his mind better than anybody else. He's just got to plug in and find what's going to work for him. But everyone at the club wants him to succeed and and as a fan, I want him to succeed as well. I'd say that about any player. And Carl mentioned Donny van der Beek. It really frustrates uh, me watching him play football at the moment for Manchester United. I'd still want him to succeed. I just can't see where that's going to come from because I've yet to see anything um, which shows he's going to be uh, a, a, a decent Manchester United player. But when they put on that red shirt, you want them to succeed and... He's just not going to have an unlimited number of chances. But I think with Jaden, the club tried so hard to get him and he's got that huge contract. He's, he's going to get lots of chances. Yeah, he's the third most expensive player in United's history, or he was when he was signed, certainly. Uh, Carl, you wrote an explainer about why Donny van der Beek can't establish himself in the United team. Uh, and pretty much the Villa Cup game was like, the Villa League game was like, the Real Sociedad game was like any other glimpse we've had of him, really just not in the game is he he's just you know the touches is a, is a stat that that tells the story but when a goalkeeper um is having more touches than you and the opposition has barely been anywhere near that goalkeeper in that first half it's alarming isn't it he's the deputy to bruno fernandes who is the number 10 the essential de facto captain uh, and the attacking hub and, and a lot of manchester united's play revolves around fernandes so you can't necessarily take him out and put Donny in because then you drastically change things. Donny's also a very different style of player to Bruno Fernandes, who's very much, give me the ball and I'll spray it. Whereas Donny is going, spray it to me when I'm in loads of difficult positions. So in that first half against Aston Villa, you know, I think it was interesting that Ten Hag not only gave Donny another chance as number 10, but moved Bruno out to the right-hand side to, to do it for him. Um, but again, I mean, one, you're, you're seeing times where Van der Beek is, is running into interesting areas in the final third. But you're also going, oh, Donny, no. You're pointing you're pointing to a difficult position and Fred is on the ball. Maybe maybe don't do that. Um, and it's that thing of, if Donny wants to play that way, he might need to wait or he might need to wait or wait for certain other players to have the ball before he go, makes and does those over-ambitious off the ball runs. There's such a thing as being too clever in a game of football. Uh, and two, I think one of the big points of concern about Van der Beek is he can be quite passive. And not only passive in, I think I've been on this podcast and, and yelled and screamed where he goes, oh, I can be a number eight. I'm like, no, you're not. You're not a number eight. Stop saying you're a number eight. Just, just I think he said he was a number ten. six as well, actually, didn't he, in that interview? Uh, yeah. Played as a six very in very limited moments in these early seasons at Ajax. And then when he was a number eight, he played as a number eight next to a certain Lissandro Martinez. Martinez, you know, being the tackler and passer in that pivot. And even then, most of those games were, you know, it was the thing of you playing the bottom half there. And if you say Donny could work as an eight, and then the moment it was the bigger games, it was he 
Ten Hag didn't trust him there and, and moved him to a 10. So there, there's a point in the second half, just before he gets substituted, where Olsen passes out the back and it's maybe, I'd say, less than 10 yards past Van der Beek and he sort of watches the ball drift past him. Douglas Louise gets onto the ball and makes a sort of 20-yard run from his half into this into the United half. And Donny's chasing after him, which is good. Didn't always do that. Tries to make a tackle. Can't win the ball. And, and what you see is five seconds later, Bruno Fernandes makes the same recovery tackle, gets back, clatters Douglas Louise. Louise gets up and Fernandes nearly gets himself sent off from uh, going, from butting heads with him and gets himself a booking. And you just go, ah, that's the difference. It's not necessarily about talent. It's about, are you the uh, the right kind of midfield madman to go get yourself a yellow card to bail out your teammate? And that's why, you know, for, for all his critics, Bruno Fernandes will be in that side for a long time. And that's why, I mean, until Donny van der Beek can make that recovery run and also put himself about, I'm putting in air quotes properly, you know, sounding like someone's dad. Stick a boot in. A lot was made of um, him having only 11 touches in the first half last night, and that all sort of went viral. He did manage another 10 touches in the first 15 minutes of the second half before he was brought off for Christian Eriksen. But Christian Eriksen was on the pitch half an hour and had more touches of the ball than Donny had had in, in an hour. He's just bringing absolutely nothing to the team. What can we look at from his perspective? Well, he's not going to get a better crack of the whip under Eric Ten Hag. He played 175 games for him at Ajax. This isn't a 22-year-old. This is a 25-year-old fully formed pro. In mitigation, well, he had a knock which kept him out up until the West Ham game recently in the league when he was on the bench. But he started the last three matches... He's been brought off in each of them after up 62, 65, 58 minutes. And he's not in his first season in England anymore. I don't know whether... I often think he's a player that just will fit into a system. You know, if he was back in Ajax, he'd be fine. But he's got the Ajax manager now. He really can't hope for any more to help him succeed at Manchester United. And... I'll never give up hope on anyone who crosses that white line with the red shirt on, but he's making it extremely trying because he was one of the reasons why Manchester United did go behind because when them changes came on, they were the ones who impacted the match. And, you know, you, you, you don't get games for Manchester United unless you're doing it. And it's not just that he's not doing it, he's never done it. Ideally, you want to put in an 11 where you've got defenders that can secure midfield and also are, have the passing range to get the ball to him when he does all those very clever off the ball runs. You also want wingers who can cut inside and really enjoy the half spaces so he can have that interchange. And you want a striker who constantly occupies the last line of defence and can do that. That's a long list and you build that 11 and you go that list would that's a that team's better with Fernandes in it rather than Donny van der Beek. I think, you know, maybe year three, year four of the Ten Hag experiment, experiment process, how you want to call it, and more of the players Ten Hag wants to come in, then Donny van der Beek becomes more viable. But at this early stage where so much is in flux, I don't think you can have a player of his atypical styling. For, 
I think Ten Hag's going to keep him. I can't. I can't necessarily see him just bin him off on loan already because if if only because you need bodies for the rest of the season. But it, it is up to Donny to stop making those over ambitious runs when Fred has the ball on his right foot and go, oh, Fred's got the ball on his right foot. Maybe I should run closer to him and get the ball off him and help out. Donny scored 41 goals for Ajax. He made 34 assists. He's played 57 times for Manchester United. 57 times? 57. So here's the thing. I looked it up after the Villa League game. He has started the same amount of Premier League games for United as he has for Everton. What? Yeah. yeah. So when he yeah. when he started at Villa, that was his first start for all, for yeah, almost yeah. two years. Yeah. But yeah. I know statistics can prove anything, but his United numbers are horrendous. If you look at his IX numbers, so again, I looked at his you know looked at his highlight reel from IX, and you say he scored forty one goals for IX. Uh, I I like you know with a tally chart, twenty nine of them were first time finishes. So he's not he's not the Bruno Fernandez. I'm going to take it here. I'm going to take it here, and then I'm going to whack it top bins from 25 yards out. He is very much long passing move. He has exploited a half space for the overload and now he's got what looks like a tap-in. And to do that, you need to have complementary players and you need to be far more along in the rules of winning that Ten Hag wants. And I, I just think he's arrived at Manchester United at the wrong time, which again, I've, I've said this through three or four times, that summer transfer window of 2020... Of Donny van der Beek, Alex Talis, Ahmad, Palestri, and Edison Cavani. I'm pulling a face and saying, Ooh, I, I know hindsight is 2020, but that summer window is looking worse and worse and worse the more time progresses. The, the amazing thing of all of this as well is that heading to Fulham, I can actually see Donny van der Beek starting again, Andy, because I can see Bruno Fernandes playing on the right again. I can see Marcus Rashford playing on the left again. And I can see Anthony Martial going through the middle. And if Anthony, the other Anthony, not Anthony Alanga, the other Anthony, and Jadon <laughs> Sancho are ill again and not available, um, I can see Donny starting again. I hope he doesn't because he's been giving the team nothing. But if he does, and if he plays well, and if we're on this next podcast saying hats off to Donny... Then, because Manchester United have just beaten a Fulham team who are in form, I would absolutely uh, take that all day long. I'm just worried because I'm just not convinced at all. Uh, Fulham are in a good place. They, they beat Villa 3-0 a couple of weeks ago. They won away at Leeds. They drew at Everton. And then they lost narrowly at a team called Manchester City. Um, yeah, I think I've pronounced that right. Uh so, you know, Fulham, Fulham, this isn't the Fulham that came up last time, spent a load of money and went back down. Fulham have almost finished the stand. They started building it in 1905. <laughs> and it's got that wonderful location. Oh. And you can now walk behind uh, the Craven Cottage on the banks of the River Thames. And I'd advise any travelling fans to it's do amazing. it. You, you get that beautiful walk through the Bishop's Park on the way to Craven Cottage. But that new stand is spectacular, as are the ticket prices to sit in that stand. And it isn't quite, quite finished. There's a big bollard right in front of the press box. And every you know, three or four times I've been there, I'm always going, please don't put me behind the bollard. Please don't put me behind the bollard. That stand is opposite. That's a Stevenage Road stand. That is an Archibald Leach masterpiece. That will never be destroyed. I think it's a grade one listed. And Fulham's obviously a wealthy area, so you can't be knocking stands down 
like that. I love that stand. I know it's small. I love the cottage in the corner. I really like Craven Cottage as an away ground to go to. And, you know, it's a hard, hard ticket there for, for the game, the last game before the World Cup. But I'm a, I'm a little bit worried about Fulham. Fulham are doing, are doing really well. And if United are not on it, uh, and if Donny's not on it, then it's too big a risk to start him. But as you say, given the injuries to some of the players, he might get another chance. If you do, just score two. Score two, run into the corner, dive into the United end, then dive in the River Thames and you'll be a complete hero, Donny. I was at the Etihad for that City-Fulham game last weekend and I came away sort of slightly disappointed, not because City had scored a 95th-minute debatable penalty through Erling Haaland, but... um, just because I thought that Fulham could have maybe done a bit more with the initiative they were handed after the red card. And Bernd Leno, I I interviewed, he sort of said, you don't realise how tough it is coming here, uh, even playing against 10 men, for you to be able to dictate the game. Um, Andreas Pereira was a a feature of of the performance for Fulham. Um, He scored the penalty in Mitrovic's absence, and it sounds like Mitrovic isn't playing this weekend either, which is a, a, a major plus for United because he is undoubtedly the main feature of Fulham's play. But actually, quietly, Andreas has made himself a real feature of Fulham's play as well, Andy. He's been a real, real high point for them this season. There's an article up on The Athletic uh, about the impact that he's made and the story of his failure at Flamengo in the final and and the emotion that came with that. We'll get into that in a minute. But just to see Andreas thriving is great, actually, isn't it? He started every single... Uh, Fulham Premier League game this season, bar one at, at Chelsea. He's playing really well. He's getting better, not worse. He made two assists recently in that 3-2 win they had at Leeds. He obviously scored against the, the team from close to Manchester City. I'm delighted for him. He's a nice lad. I knew him when he was a young player at Manchester United. I went to see him in Valencia. I went to see him in Granada. I spoke to him a lot when he was at uh, in Brazil and he would always say I just want to be playing football all the time so he had this positive I just need to be playing all the time unfortunately for him when he did play he was patchy he was patchy for Manchester United he scored absolute wonder goals against Southampton even at the start of last season I think there was one um, against Brentford unbelievable he's got that in his locker but he he went to Flamengo the, the most widely supported team in Brazil, did really well for them, was a good player for them, got to the Libertadores final, which is the equivalent of the Champions League final. He did a Gerard slip, didn't he? He did. I've, I've always been impressed by, by his attitude. Uh, he's, he's played around in different countries. He speaks all those languages. Happy living in London. I'm just, I'm just pleased for him. And also, United got decent money for him. United's sales policy, if you like, has been pretty awful in the post-Ferguson era. But I think £10 million for Andreas Pereira. It's not £40 million. It's not the money United have spent on Donny van der Beek. But it is one of the few players which Manchester United have, have made a profit on. And just to see him starting every week in a decent Premier League team as an established Premier League player, you've not failed there. You've done all right in life. I, I, watched, I watched them defeat. Leads and, and something Andreas Perry will always have is not not just the, the long range shots, but he's he's just got lungs. He's got lungs and lungs and lungs. He can run and run and run and run. Um, Marco Silva has something of the baby Mourinho's to him after a victory. He can, he can be very confident uh, and and said that Andreas Pereira is very 
important to that Fulham team because he offers the first pressure and, and gives a lot of off-ball running. Yeah, yeah, I think for Manchester United, Pereira played as a six, as an eight, as a 10 and as a winger as well. Uh, so he's played a bit. He's also really important to their set pieces. His corners have been incredible. He's probably the best corner taker I've seen in the Premier League this season. There was a match against Bournemouth. They were like absolutely fired in, in swinging corners to the near post. A bit like the one that Villa had last night when Scott McTominay cleared it off the line from Douglas Luiz. But the pace, the trajectory, that's going to be a real thing for United to defend considering we've had our issues with the height of the team this season. Scott McTominay might get a run out just for that. I will say there was also a moment, I think on the half hour mark, you know, Leeds far too, you know, overcommit on the corner kick. Uh, Melia is way too far at his goal and it's a two-on-one counter-attack. Andreas is bearing down on goal and going, just square it, just square it, just square it. And he telegraphs in slow motion the most obvious shot to Melia that's going to him. And I remember I was watching this at Ellen Rome going, there, you're, there he is. There's the Andreas Pereira. I remember that Old Trafford. So yes, um, should be afraid of his set-piece delivery. He, he's very courageous now and playing a lot more balls forward. But uh, in in the meanest way and the nicest way, there's a reason why he's the number 10 for Fulham right now and he's not backing up Bruno Fernandes. Yeah, and if I'm being honest, he did give the ball away quite a lot against Manchester City as well. He was getting caught in possession quite a few times, but I think that was as much to do with the fact that there was no one running forward for Fulham for him to find. (laughs) And that becomes quite difficult when you're in the middle of midfield and there's no one to pass to. Andy told the story before about the slip in the final uh, for Andreas Pereira playing for Flamengo. Well, he actually had a hand in helping them to win that competition the following season because the whole premise uh, that he told the fans and told the club that he was going to stay at Flamengo until they won that competition. Uh, It didn't happen in the end because they couldn't afford to keep him. Of course, he signed for Fulham, uh, but he did help them on their way, I think, to the last 16 of the competition. And then actually when they won it, he was video called by the team. David Luiz, actually former Chelsea defender, uh, posted some pictures of Pereira on FaceTime in tears um, at, at what the... Uh, the team, his old teammates, were able to achieve that. It's a lovely story, and I'd encourage you to go and read that article uh, before the game at Craven Cottage this weekend. In terms of the team then, Carl, do you, do you think we'll get Sancho or Anthony back? Did, in the press conference last night, did Ten Hag give any clues about any, anyone coming back? Yeah, typical Ten Hag. Cards close to your chest. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm, this is my gut feeling based on absolutely nothing. If Anthony Martial can play uh, an hour or, or more than an hour, I think he'll he'll come back as the number nine. Marcus Rashford on the left, and th- the way we've discussed Donny Van der Beek makes me think the other Anthony, Mister Elanga, might get a run out on the right hand side because he did play uh, twenty five minutes in the League Cup and he was solid. You know, he offers a, a degree of defensive security. Uh, and another term that Tanaki's bring up is running in behind. He keeps he keeps talking about strikers coming in because they run in behind. And if Alanga has one thing for him, it's that he does run in behind. So I think he might get the nod on the right hand side. Well, we've not mentioned him, Mandy, either. But Cristiano Ronaldo, what's happened with him? He's he's ill. Well, he's supposed to be ill, and that's why he didn't play against uh, Aston Villa. I saw a young YouTuber came over from the United States to see Cristiano Ronaldo. I missed this. What happened? Go on, Carl. Right. Okay. So. Uh, there is a YouTuber called I Show Speed, so often referred to as Speed. He's got 12 million followers on YouTube, 
and he makes me feel very, very old. Our Derby County reporter, Elias, is one of our younger members of staff, and he is aware of him. And he's, I'd say, I describe him as one of the most famous people for the under 25s. And, and there were two or three moments when I was, when I was walking around Old Trafford, uh, I was in, you know, in, but going past the Munich Tunnel, and, and I saw just a collection of teenagers go, it's speed! And six of them ran top speed down the Munich Tunnel. I'm going, what? What's going on? Uh, he, he's got a massive following. He's he's very popular among the Gen Zers, uh, and he he very much appeared to be there to to to, to meet Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, didn't, uh, and then yes, met Paddy Graham, and well, if if he just had no idea who he was, just absolutely no idea. Oh dear. Not a great look, that is it, really. <laughs> oh, I really cannot wait the the next time I see Paddy Creran to ask him if he's been watching Speed. I just want to see where the conversation goes. He'll go, you what? <laughs> Maybe after last night, Speed will know exactly who Paddy Creran is. It'd be brilliant to think that he's gone back and had a look at exactly what he's achieved for Manchester United over the years because he's certainly a figure who deserves respect no matter what age you are. Right, that's it then for Talk of the Devils. Thank you, Andy. Thank you, Carl. Don't forget, all the articles that we've talked about on the podcast are on The Athletic right now. If you're not a subscriber and you want to read them, you can subscribe now for just £1 a month for the first six months. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. We'll be back after the match at Fulham. Let's hope Manchester United sign off with a victory ahead of the World Cup. But for the minute, thank you for listening and we'll see you on the next one. The Athletic.